Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. While we listened to our record collection years ago, some of us dreamed of a future with cars flying through the air. While that may not be where we're headed, we are in an era of self-driving vehicles, and they are big businesses, and businesses are working on the challenges to bring this to fruition. Weather is perhaps the biggest challenge. How can technology handle changing road conditions while keeping everyone safe? We are joined by Phil Magny, founder of VSI, a leading researcher of active safety and automated vehicle technology. Phil's here to discuss what is being done to make sure weather doesn't put on the brakes to the future of automated vehicles. Phil, thank you for joining us today on Weather Geeks. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, yeah. It's my pleasure. Yeah, it's, it, you know, Weather Geeks, we're all over the place, usually with our discussions, and this is really fascinating to talk today about how weather is involved in automated vehicles and self-driving cars. I think that may catch some of our listeners off guard, but I, I've read about this and it's quite fascinating as a meteorologist. But before we get into all of that, tell us a little bit about yourself and about VSI. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, well, this business uh, that I started five years ago, um, a, per your uh, accurate introduction, we conduct research on the technologies that go into uh, active safety and automated driving. Um, those are sort of related, by the way. These, these safety systems are very much sensor-based systems and uh, while they used to provide warnings and advisories, now some of these systems are actually what we call active systems. So, you know, they will veer the car back into the lane if it starts tracking off to the side or even hit the brakes if it needs the vehicle needs to slow down uh, rapidly. Um, and these are the kind of the base technologies that go into automated driving. But anyway, I set out to um, really examine this this industry from a technology standpoint. Uh, specifically, uh, what does it take to uh, design, develop, uh, and even market these systems? Um, we provide, uh, or we our, our major customer base would be those co- companies that are supplying components, systems, or even companies that are developing. Uh, these vehicles themselves. As a matter of fact, really, it was it was Uber that put VSI on the map. Uh, we still work very closely with Uber to this day. We don't tell them how to build their cars, but we give them a lot of advisory with respect to the different uh, components and so forth. Um, I have a background in automotive electronics, and so I've been in this space for uh, about 20 years. And so this was... Um, a logical extension of, of, of my know-how. And I'm a bit of an entrepreneur. Uh, I've started other companies in the past, but uh, I guess you could say we're, we're a uh, little bit of an engineering services company uh, coupled with a, with a research company. We do have our own laboratory and we have three vehicles from which we 
work on and uh, test out different combinations of sensors, hardware, software, and then we take these vehicles uh, on the roads, uh, even on public roads, uh, and test uh, their functionality, and then we can report this functionality back to our our clients. Yeah, and and I, I want to say that I actually have some experience now with some of this technology. I, I recently purchased a new vehicle, uh, a, a hybrid uh, vehicle, and it has some of this sort of lane keeping technology. And uh, I have to admit, I'm being new to some of the technology. I was driving to Florida recently and had the cruise control on and didn't realize it had this sort of adaptive capacity to slow itself down. And if there are cars uh, in, in front of the lane that, that I was in. So uh, I, I'm, I'm learning this technology well, but I quite appreciate it now that I have a 15-year-old daughter on the road that's learning how to drive mm-hmm. in my car. Uh, yeah, It's really fascinating to me as your Weather Geeks lo- uh, listeners may be saying, well, where are they going with this with weather? Uh, and we're, and we're going to get there. Uh, but mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about you mentioned Uber, and I think people are familiar with Uber as a company and sort of this notion of self-driving cars or self-automated cars, if you will. Why? Do, then this is honestly a question that I've had. Why do we want these types of vehicles in our society? Now, of course, I, I get the, the notion of the type of car I currently have, but what are the advantage of these of, of self-automated cars, mm-hmm. and are they a threat? Yeah. Um, well, if I may, I'll just step back a little bit and kind of give you the um, kind of the what's really driving this in my yeah, and, I, and that's what I want to get to the bottom yeah. of because you know even my exactly. wife said, why do we want self driving cars around? <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, a lot of people are are completely opposed to it. It's like no way. Uh, I'm not going to trust a machine. You know, I'm in charge and I love to drive. So what's the point? <laughs> um, well, there is um almost an endless supply of of capital and investment. Uh, coming into this market. Um, you, you read about everyday positions being taken, and uh, even even major car companies are investing in the ride-sharing firms and new mobility services and, and, and so forth uh, because they, too, see it coming and they want to prepare. What's really driving it, in my opinion, is take a look at the popularity of of. of ride-hailing services right now. I mean, like, t- take an Uber, take a Lyft. Of course, there are others in different parts of the, the world. But they are they're hugely popular um, because they are, are very convenient. And, you know, it's and for many people, it, it's a whole lot cheaper than going out and buying a car, having to maintain a car, having to insure the thing and pay for parking and all this maintenance, all this other stuff. So it's, it's, it's a growing trend. Um, uh, for one thing now, those ride hailing companies, um, are looking down the road as well, obviously no pun intended, but, um, now imagine if they could have their own fleet of vehicles, uh, without a driver, they could substantially lower their operating costs and therefore provide a model uh, to the consumers, which have a substantial cost advantage over car ownership, um, it's a um, it, it's really quite uh, quite astonishing when you look at the numbers. And, and we're not a market research company, so I can't even give you what those numbers are. But 
they say mobility is, you know, worth, I don't know, some seven, ten trillion dollars or something when you look at the whole ecosystem. So um, so that's one of the driving factors is, is that you could you could obtain vehicle transportation services much cheaper than than owning a car. Uh, and of course, then the other thing, too, the other the other major driver uh, with respect to the technologies overall is that, you know, there's a lot of. Uh, a lot of fatalities, uh, you know, related to motor vehicles, you know, in the U.S. alone, and it can, seems to continue to go up. It's around forty thousand a year now, and in this country, and um, you know, there's a lot of reasons, you know, speculation as to why that is. You know, driver distraction, and you know, too many cars, and too much aggression, and and. Too many people in a hurry, and so on and so forth. So, there's really a um, the safety thing is is huge, obviously, um, but there is as an underpinning economic value here that certainly the big tech companies and of course the major auto companies see the trend, and so so that's really what's um, you know really what's driving it is this new kind of new mobility, uh, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah, now that I, and I want to kind of pivot now because again, this is weather geeks, and there's yeah. a clear weather component. How big of a deal is weather for automated vehicles? It's actually a very huge deal. I mean, there's a reason why all of the testing and developing is happening in the southern states, um, because there's there's enough challenges even with perfect weather. Um, uh, you know, so and and we've got a ways to go. Now, you know, you can you, you hear on the news and see reports and whatnot. You know, tremendous progress is being made um, by those major companies. You know, Google. You know, they have a their their driverless business or company is called Waymo. They're quite far along with it. Obviously, Uber is working on it. Lyft is working on it. Of course, major car companies, um, you know, GM, Ford, um, Toyota, Honda, etc. They're all working on it. But most of the testing uh, and trials um, is happening in in the southern states because well, what, 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 weather. What kind of what you, you mentioned the southern states and I'm, I'm certainly located here. By the way, Phil Phil Magny here we're talking with uh, founder of VSI and he's coming to us today from the iHeart Radio Studios in Minneapolis. So I want to thank the station for hosting you there today. But you mentioned the south. So is it what what type of weather are we talking about? I mean, I can imagine there are issues with sort of the amount of availability of solar radiation or the sun, access to the sun. Uh, but what what are the specific weather uh, events or, or, or that really cause these uh, technologies problems? Um. Uh, well, any type of precipitation is very very problematic. Um, you know, rain uh, can be dealt with, but uh, with rain, even with rain, uh, depending on where the sensors are located, you get um, you get a lot of noise and a lot of uh, distortions uh, that you wouldn't normally get. I mean, when you when you have a sensor, let's say it's a it's a vision sensor or a camera sensor, for example, uh, and you put 
droplets of water on the lens, clearly it's going to mess up the optics. So obviously that's not going to work. Now, most of the time, the the camera-based sensors will be on the inside of the of the front windscreen, and so therefore you you know you have you know, have wipers going, so you can you can cope with cope with that if depending on where those sensors are placed. Uh, other types of sensors uh, that are upset with um, with precipitation include these what they call lidar sensors, yeah, laser-based systems. Uh, yep. Yeah, LIDAR, light detection and ranging is what that stands for, that acronym. But LIDAR is one of the most important sensor technologies uh, and therefore enabling technologies for automated driving because a a LIDAR uh, device, uh, and typically they scan 360 degrees, so they are looking uh, all around the vehicle and... They emit these, you know, these laser beams, and 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 in a in a in an array or a matrix, if you will, and so you, they create a a kind of image. Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen what the, a lidar image looks oh, like. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I've seen some before. I, I before yeah. I came to the University of Georgia, I was at NASA, and we actually use lidar technology to look at things like clouds in the atmosphere or aerosol or particulate matter. So yeah. I really am resonating with what you're saying. I didn't realize that some of these car technologies were was actually using LIDAR because I could see how there would be attenuation or changes to the to the signal, of, very similar to what perhaps people were, uh, that have satellite-based television experience when it rains. So this is really interesting to hear that there's an attenuation problem. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and typically LIDAR sensors... Yeah. You know, if you if you've seen picture, I'm sure you've seen pictures of these different, um, you know, development vehicles. And generally there will be a LIDAR, at least one, if not multiple LIDAR units on the roof. So they're directly exposed to, um, you know, to the elements. And again, you get, you get a little bit of water buildup on, on that, some moisture on that, on the outside of that sensor. And it'll, it, it will mess up the. Uh, the signals, um, and that's just water. Now, um, with snow, it's you, once once you have frozen uh, precipitation, then you know, then the challenge increases probably by a factor of ten. Um, for example, you get you, you get some accumulation, and unlike water, it doesn't just like run off. And depending on the temperature, it may accumulate on the outside of the sensor and basically render it useless. Uh, and that can happen not only with the radar sensor, but any of the any other sensor you have in the vehicle. Even the radar sensors, you get a wad of snow in the front of those, and it will it will um, you know prevent those from working as well. So that's a that's a huge problem. Um, that one of one of the problems I should say that are related to weather, um, uh, and let me just expand before I start talking about snow. Um, I'll just expand a little bit more on you know on on rain. You know, obviously, um, you know rain. You know, when you get a really wet road, it it really changes the you know, the kind of the reflective properties of the, of, of lane lines and things like that. And so that, that further complicates things in terms of, uh, the sensor's ability to, 
to detect uh, and classify uh, objects, you know, whether you're talking lane lines or or um, or any other object, another vehicle, for example. I want to I want to pause right yeah. there and just make sure I, cl- I clarify something for my own understanding and the listeners. Yeah. So you talk about the reflective properties of the the lane lines, which are typically white, and so uh, as I understand it, there is some type of sensor in the car that is. De- the scanning and detecting the presence of the, the, the lane line based on its property. I mean, and, you know, in, in sort of science or in meteorology, you know, we talk about the albedo. So something that has a higher albedo is a bit more reflective. So uh, mm-hmm. is this a visible, in terms of detecting the lane lines, is that using the visible technology or LIDAR technology? And is it sort of sensitive to changing albedo? Yeah, I mean, for lane lines, um, we largely rely on our cameras. And um, anytime you, um, you know, interfere with the, with the, um, um, the contrast or, you uh, you know, changes in contrast. Uh, so any degradation whatsoever in that, that, that algorithm's ability to uh, say with confidence, you know, that's precisely where the lane line is. Anything that interrupts that um, is going to be problematic. Uh, now, I will say this, um, and um, I can say this because uh, I, there's a company locally that's very, very involved in, in um, you know, supplying the industry with a lot of the materials for lane markings and signs and whatnot, and that's 3M. And 3M has been developing, um, a, a, a doing a lot um, of development with respect to those lane lines. And... We've even done some testing for them, and the results are are, are pretty astonishing. Um, and I don't know exactly what they are, what types of um, material they're using to to um, to enhance the performance of those lane lines. But, um, like for example, whether it's uh, you know in rain uh, or even some frozen matter. Um, with these uh, new materials, you, our tests have shown that there is a substantial improvement in, at least in the camera's ability to detect the presence and classify um, those lane lines with, with reasonable accuracy. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 
We are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm talking with Phil Magny, founder of VSI. And we're talking about weather and how it impacts automated vehicles, self-driving cars, things that you've heard about in the news. Perhaps you've been in one. Uh, you might not have thought about just how impactful the weather is on this technology. You've, you've heard about the impact of precipitation, frozen precipitation, Let's talk about other ways. I mean, I, I, one of the things I mentioned, and, and this is what I was thinking, and perhaps I was sort of off off base with this, but I, I was thinking that some of these vehicles were uh, using solar generation as well, and I thought that perhaps cloudy conditions or access to the sun would be an issue. Is that am I totally off base with that, or is that uh, somewhat relevant too? Well, um, that is, yeah, we don't. Now there are atmospheric conditions which will impact the performance. Um, so let me let me explain what that means. Um, we use GPS, obviously. Uh, GPS gives you a starting point uh, with a certain degree of accuracy. Uh, unfortunately, uh, GPS by itself is not enough to give you uh, the level of accuracy that you would need. And so anything that um, that disrupts GPS signals um, puts the the vehicle at a slight disadvantage, uh, not doesn't take it completely out, but uh, it does it does put um, you know compromises that source of input, if you will. Now, so what we do, and what most companies would do to improve the performance or the accuracy of the GPS would be they use some uh, inertia measurement uh, and some instruments like that, which will will really help um, help that vehicle stay uh, on course uh, with with reasonable accuracy. Um, that is further enhanced with using some correction services. Um, you can use differential GPS. You can use um, um, RTK, real-time kinematics, uh, which basically what that does is that's a correction service, typically a, a land-based correction service that, that um, uh, works along with GPS to improve that accuracy relative to ground truth uh, substantially down from, you know, maybe a meter, a few meters down to a few centimeters, actually. Now, here again, uh, anytime you're using um, satellite GPS uh, along with correction services, if you, if any of those signals is, is um, interrupted, like, and, and of course, the atmosphere can can mess up GPS. Uh, that's going to degrade the the quality of that input, as I said. Um, and then also, once you get into a dense urban area, um, you you encounter these multipath issues and so forth um, that uh, make that source unreliable. I, I, so, I, when you talk about GPS, one thing that immediately came to mind for me as a, a former scientist at NASA is that 
I know that there are technologies that are are, are are methodologies that are trying to use GPS signal to measure something in meteorology we call precipitable water, which is kind of a column integrated or how much water vapor is present in the atmosphere if you start from the ground and go up to the top of the atmosphere. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and from what I understand, the the, the the water vapor, the precipitable water is a, an attenuating source for the GPS signal. So it, it came to mind that the amount of humidity or the amount of precipitable water could be problematic for some of the GPS precision that you're talking about in these systems. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. You see, we are, as a company, we're experts on the system. And really, when you're talking about an automated vehicle, it's a system of systems. Uh, Of course, you can, you know, there are deep dives into, obviously, you know, sensor-based cameras or or radar, you know, technical challenges that lie deep within, within that field. You know, we're not subject matter experts so much on you know, what, you know, how those signals get offset and so forth. I mean, we're more, more at the systems level. And, and that brings up another point um, that I want to make about these autonomous vehicles. You've, um, you can't rely on any, really on any one uh, sensor uh, in itself to get the job done. You really need to fuse together multiple sources of data. And we call it sensor fusion in the industry where we're, we have to fuse in real time, you know, all of these, all of these signals together. And, you know, so collectively you have a higher confidence level than if you relied on, on, uh, on, on one individual, you know, sensor uh, technology. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard and talking about automated vehicles and weather. Now, I'm a meteorologist by by degree, and and uh, this is a show that many meteorologists or many weather enthusiasts listen to. Clearly, weather is a, a very important, important part of what you do, but you're not necessarily experts in weather in your company or perhaps others that are doing this type of work. Do you consult with meteorologists, have meteorologists on staff in terms of your testing? Not really. Um, we, it comes up um, a lot, though, because, you know, here we are. We're a company here based in Minnesota that is doing developmental work on autonomous cars. So naturally, you know, people will say, well, Phil, how, how do you cope with the weather? And uh, so it, it comes up all the time. And therefore, um, with respect to a lot of our projects and a lot of our clients, uh, winter weather, snow testing, for example, um, as, you know, fog testing, rain testing is something that's generally part of the test suite. In fact, as of late, uh, within the past couple of weeks, here, right here in Minnesota, we have had, uh, we've had like six or eight inches every two or three days. And so it's really piling up out there. 
Uh, and we have been conducting a bunch of tests in the last week or so to really try to uh, better understand the limitations of the system when you have a, a heavy snow event uh, like we've had. And um, so we don't, we keep an eye on the weather, obviously, and we use it to kind of, uh, you know, to incorporate into the, into the test suite. But we, we don't, again, we don't get into uh, specifically trying to measure, you know, what, you know, a certain density of snowflake is going to do or something like that. We, again, we were more at the systems level and, um, and so, but we do know what the limitations are. Now, if I may, um, let me just uh, kind of debrief you on some of the results of our, of our recent tests. I was just and, about to go there, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just want to point out that we just put up some videos and, and we use some of the social networks to kind of, kind of reveal some of our interesting findings. Um, for example, VSI Labs on LinkedIn uh, is a is a platform that I use a lot, that we use a lot at the company to kind of, you know, put some interesting things out there. And just recently, we've posted some videos on uh, related to the performance of our vehicle when you have a significant accumulation of snow on the roads. And what I mean by significant is, you know, you no longer can see the lane lines. They're just basically not there. Right. You know, the, the surface is completely white or... You may have some tire tracks there, um, but when when you run into conditions like this, uh, you have to rely on another means of of um, understanding where the lanes are, and this is a uh, this is a pretty this is some heavy lifting from a uh, computer standpoint. Um, what it consists of, basically, when you can't see the lane lines, your cameras obviously are going to do nothing for you in that regard. So how are you going to possibly know where to be uh, within the context of that of that lane or that multi-lane road? Uh, well, there's a method out there, um, and it involves uh, doing what we call point cloud localization. So... If we have an accurate map of the road, and the map uh, is really like the infrastructure map, so that's signs and bridges and other physical objects and so forth. Uh, if we know, um, if we have an accurate map, then we can we can uh, drive that course with our LIDAR, and we can literally triangulate off of the physical objects, we see what the LIDAR sees in real time, compares that to the map database. And so basically it knows with a reasonable degree of accuracy um, where where that vehicle should be. Now, it takes some other assets to pull that off, uh, one being what we call a, a lane model. So you need an accurate lane model, which is kind of like what you might see with your 2D navigation system, you know, it, it, but uh, you need an accurate representation of exactly where the lane lines are. So if you have the the lane model and along with the ability to localize against the physical infrastructure, then you can operate um, 
pretty well when you can no longer see the see the lane lines. Wow, that, that's that's really impressive. This sort of system of systems that you talked about, these redundant systems or complementary systems to offset when one is compromised by the weather, for example. Uh, one question that I had, and perhaps I already know the answer, having listened to you for the uh, the, the podcast, uh, do the cars need any kind of weather sensors themselves to sort of self-adjust to conditions? I mean, is that something? Typically, cars will have some type of thermal or thermometer type system to give temperature, outside temperature, although uh, a fair warning as a meteorologist, those can often be a bit uh, uh, biased on the high side, particularly uh, in warm conditions because of the, the asphalt and other things. But are there any needs or uses or existence, if you will, of weather sensors on these self or these automated vehicles? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, yes, uh, they're, they're, you need you need to <laughs> need to collect as much information as you can. I mean, any source of of information uh, is going to help in the overall you know decision algorithms. And so, um, obviously, temperature. Yes, you would you would you would rely on that as an input. Um, you can also program your cameras to detect uh, rain. Um, that, in fact, anybody that's driving a Tesla, for example, right now, a car that has done a pretty good job, by the way, of, of implementing both active safety and self-driving features into their cars, um, I can tell you that the, the rain-sensing wipers uh, are driven from the camera inputs. And in the case of Tesla and many others, they... Their algorithms are created using artificial intelligence. And so they will actually, you know, Tesla, as this is their normal practice, they collect a lot of data from the fleets of vehicles. They can actually uh, create their algorithms, improve, maintain, update their algorithms based upon, you know, data they're collecting. So my point is, um, uh, and how it ties to weather, is the, the, the rain-sensing wipers on, on the Tesla, they are, they are in fact activated by um, what the camera sees, and it's, um, it's AI-based algorithm that says, okay, now the conditions from what these cameras are yielding means that we need to start intermittently activating these, these wipers. So uh, you would need um, that... Uh, for doing proper automated driving, just for safety purposes, um, you can start. Uh, you can make some decisions or some assumptions, I should say, with respect to what the conditions may be like based upon the temperature. Of course, based upon you know what is the precipitation? Is it snow? Is it rain? And again, you can use your sensors to uh, to tell you that. And then um, you know, obviously. The vehicle would need to go into what we call at VSI Labs, we call it a low grip mode. And it, I mean, it's and then it's further enhanced by, you know, you would you, you've got, you know, you're able to to measure, you know, um, from your wheel speed sensors, you know, when there are when are, when thing when you're losing grip, you can you can confirm it at least uh, from that. So. So yeah, you would definitely want to, in the interest of safety, you would want to incorporate uh, real time as well as even predictive weather into the software stack so that it could start 
kind of proactively preparing for a change in the conditions. Predictive weather. So you could see a role for, say, information coming from the weather models that are predicting weather zero to 12 hours out, perhaps. Or, you know, for example, we use a model called the HRRR, HER model, which is a short range, zero to 20 hour or so uh, model and gives rain conditions, uh, anticipated rain conditions over that time frame. You could see a scenario where that perhaps could be incorporated into these driving systems. Yeah, and it's not like your knee. It's it, less important as you know what's the weather going to do tomorrow, but um, rather than okay, what's the weather going to do in the next hour? So you, you're you know, talking zero example. to two hour time frame, even <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and certainly these models yeah. can do that. And frankly, they're probably a bit more accurate at that shorter time frame. Something yeah. else that was coming to mind as I'm listening to you, you know, many of our weather models need data. We get data from the weather balloons and satellites, even planes that are taking off and landing. That data is fed back into the models uh, assimilated in, I'm seeing a scenario where as we see more of these types of systems in cars, in Teslas and in other types of cars that are indirectly or directly collecting weather information, could you see a scenario where that data is not only being fed back to Tesla or Ford for their development, but being fed into our weather models because you're getting very high resolution weather data from these fleets of vehicles driving around? Yes, I could. And yeah, I would I would predict in the future uh, once the technology becomes pervasive and once you have connectivity in all cars, um, the concept of using a car as a as a probe is um, actually beyond a concept. It is actually uh, extremely valuable uh, for purposes of of providing well, actually, for a lot of reasons, honestly, but, um, you know, I talked about this having an accurate, you know, map data representation of, of the road, how important that can be. But obviously, there's a, there's a lot of changing conditions, you know, you've got kind of transient things that happen, which result in a temporary lane closure and this and that. So, so you need this constant feedback loop so that you can... Um, um, you know, you can better enable these vehicles to cope with, you know, the changing conditions. And um, so, yeah, the the vehicle manufacturers are working on, and there are, there's a handful of alliances and consortiums and even some proposed standards for a data set that uh, will be unified, uh, a data set standard in terms of the the information that's collected from the car. And really, we're talking a lot of information. When you think about all the data that the car is able to generate uh, from its own ECUs, you know, as far as, you know, the speed and, and, and you know, and, and other elements of the vehicle. But, but um, you know, in terms of um, all the sensor data, too, um, yeah, this is just taking crowdsourcing and and, uh, and and sort of crowd collection of weather data to a whole nother level. I mean, there, there are activities and efforts that we have in our community. For example, one that comes to mind is uh, NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration uh, National Severe Storms Lab, Lab has uh, an app called Mping, and it, they ask people to download it to their phone and report rain or 
type of rain or per type of precipitation conditions back to their database so that they can use sort of real-time crowdsourced information to sort of validate what the, the, the dual polarization or Doppler radars are seeing and improve algorithms, et cetera. So uh, your, your note that cars is a probe or, or a large imping signal or signature could be very important for even not just sort of automated cars, but just for weather prediction and weather diagnostics. So this is really exciting. Kind of coming to an end here, I want to get your thoughts as an expert in this area. What is the timeline for all of this? When, when are we going to see more driverless cars than cars with drivers, uh, if if that's ever going to happen? What's your mm -hmm. timeline? And, and how much yeah. is all of this costing? Yeah. Well, again, we're not uh, we're not really market forecasters, but we we do have our own insight and perspective based upon what we know about the technologies. And I do want to circle back to weather, too, because that's obviously what this is all about. Um, but uh, what you're seeing with automated driving, you're seeing kind of multiple tracks. OK, uh, and, and an example is is your your own vehicle that you just purchased that has some of the safety technologies. So you're seeing with series production vehicles, you're seeing these these active safety systems, uh, could be adaptive cruise, could be automatic lane keeping, or it could even be um, kind of lane level automation. And what they call this is this is this is level two automation. If it could, if the vehicle can maintain automation safely within the context of a lane, uh, and of course the driver is still in the loop technically they're still right there you know they're being monitored and sometimes you have to have your hands on the wheel but as the driver is still in charge of driving under these conditions but um or this level uh but that's that's level two automation and it typically happens um when you couple if can you, you can imagine if you could if you could couple your adaptive cruise control which incidentally that's a that's a radar technology largely uh that that does that and so you set a target speed and then it'll slow down, you know, with when it approaches a slower vehicle and so forth and behave properly. You can even adjust the distance and so forth. So you couple that with with lane level automation. That's that's level two. And, you know, Tesla offers that a Cadillac offers that Nissan offers that that is kind of the new they're kind of the evolution of these active safety systems. And um, so you've got a lot of it happening right now with series production. So. Yeah, again, and it's, it's it's as much about safety as as it is providing a a you know convenience feature, which is what I would call it, because you know you're still driving the car, but you know honestly, you know having having that level two automation is a very very nice feature. Um, again, when used under the right conditions, um, you know it it takes a lot of load off the driving task and makes it pretty enjoyable actually. So you got that. That's happening now. Now and then, you this other track you have are what I call, like to call robo taxis, and that's a level four or level five, and I'll explain in a minute. But level four and level five is a driverless vehicle, so that's a car that can do everything on its own. It has the capacity to, to operate within its op design domain. It can operate without a without a human. Okay, um, difference being level four is highly con constrained. It has a more tightly operating design domain, uh, operational design domain. Um, it may be a specific road, specific time of day, 
it's geofenced, et cetera. So it's, you know, it's fairly contained. Um, and then of course, level five is in theory, a vehicle that can go door to door. And um, it's going to be a while before we get there, but the level four vehicles, those that are being developed uh, extensively by those major ride sharing companies I mentioned uh, in collaboration with, with other companies, uh, those are going to start appearing in major metro areas um, within the next couple of years. I mean, our, technically, you already have some of this. You know, you have Waymo driverless services operating in, in, in Arizona and maybe a few other places, again, in the south um, where, um, yeah, so you'll have, you know, it's not going to be very long before you'll be in a big city and you will, um, you know, you'll go to your app and you'll request a ride and it could be a driverless vehicle that'll pick you up. That type of deployment that RoboTaxi is going to start to happen within the next couple of years is going to happen in a highly constrained manner, as I said, uh, but it is going to start rolling out uh very soon. Wow, that that's really impressive. We're, we're really running out of town. I didn't want time, but I re- did want to share with our listeners that Phil also races, races Porsches. Uh, so clearly, he's racing those. They're not automated. But um, quickly, we got got about a minute or so left. Phil, tell us a little bit about how you got into that. Well, I've been a car guy. You know, like we were talking earlier. I mean, you ask me, well, what do I think of automated driving? Well. You know, I'm that guy that's just, well, I'd love to drive. I'll always drive any day and I can do it better than a machine all day long. So, you know, I've always been, um, always been into cars and I've been into, you know, motorsport for, you know, 20 years or so. And yeah, I like to, I like to compete. Um, you know, the only tie-in I can say is I do have a pretty good understanding of how the vehicle operates, but I would say I have an acute understanding of situational awareness, um, you know, and, you know, and so that's really, that's really what you're, with these technologies you're trying to, trying to um, kind of emulate is the car, giving the car that ability to have that sort of situational uh, awareness, have the intelligence uh, to be able to operate safely. Um, and incidentally, I will say there is a company, um, they're in the UK, they're called Robo Race, and they are actually developing a whole racing series around autonomous race cars. And if you can imagine, you know, to a, to a hardcore racing fan, you know, what's, what's the draw, you know, you, you first, you take away the fuel. Now you take away the driver, (laughs) you know, um, what's the big deal? Well, that's the big deal is that this is a, you know, there's a whole new generation of, of gaming enthusiasts out there. And the notion of being able to, you know, qualify your car based upon an algorithm that you run in simulation and this and that, it, it's pretty impressive. But they've been doing tests anyway, um, man versus machine. And they're not at a point where they can do run a whole field of automated vehicles on a racetrack at high speed. That's just a very challenging thing. They'll get there, but not they're not there yet. But what they are doing is they're running these trials where they'll put in, it's the same car. They'll, you know, the human driver will take a few hot laps and then the automate and then the machine will take a few laps. And then, you know, it's competition is, you know, who's, who's the faster. And as we sit here today, it's there, the, the human is still a few tenths of a second faster, uh, from what I'm told, um, which 
doesn't surprise me. Yeah, that, that's so fascinating. And I, I have one of those gamers in my own household. So I very much appreciate what you said. We really have to end it there. But I hope the listeners have a real strong sense of how much in weather is involved in this new generation of automated vehicles. I want to thank you, Phil, for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.